AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Moments like my daughter telling me a new joke mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palpocyclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrands, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
also known as my row flame. Coming with laughs and coming with jams. On Love Lounge, baby, you better catch it when you can. Dropping knowledge from fatherhood to politics. Shouting out comics, just paying homage. What's up, Tiff? Yeah, you know she ready. Shy Town's on speaking to the grown and sexy. We gon' laugh, cut them and kick it. And at the end, we leave them with just a lift your spirit. Make you wanna revisit. Tell your friends, take a listen. Young folks say it's lit. Old folks say we dig it. Can't no bitch do what you do. Welcome to this week's episode of Laugh and Learn. I am your host, Flame Monroe. I also have my beautiful co-host. You know her as Icon or Toots, but her name is Bobby Clifford, who just celebrated her 39th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> that was your birthday present, Bobby. I allowed you to be 39 again. So that was Thank your birthday you. present. Um, yeah, that's you. what we need to do. And we are so glad you guys are here. I want to start off this week with just saying prayers to the, the people that are all afflicted by the wars all over the world. I absolutely hate wars because at the end of a war, you never know what it was about. And so many unnecessary casualties happen. So that is our take on the war. I'm not taking sides on this. I just hate that it's all going on. And I want to say prayers to our beloved president, President Biden. I know everybody has their feelings about who they feel, how they feel about whom. But I feel a great presence of Biden, and I pray that he gets back to American soil safely and unharmed because he's over there repairing fences that another president broke. I ain't going to get into that. We'll get into that another week. But this week, this week, we have a very special treat for you guys. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, like I'm a parent in comedy. We have come across another parent in comedy who is phenomenal. She is from Alberta County. Is it Alberta? Alberta? Let me say the word. Cal- Alberta, Calgary. That was that. I had something in my coffee. Okay. <laughs> so we want to welcome to the show our very special guest this week, ladies and gentlemen. I want you guys, all my claimants and all the listeners out there, laugh and learn to give her a thumbs around the applause. She is a fantastic comedian, a phenomenal parent, and a person that you need to get to know. Make some noise, ladies and gentlemen, for Afira Eisenberg, ladies and gentlemen. Y'all clap for Afira Eisenberg. Hi, Miss Ophira. Hello. Yes, I, I grew up in Calgary, <laughs> Alberta, Canada, which sounds like a, you're like, all right, that is Thank a place. Uh, but but just to be clear, I, I left. <laughs> oh, I, it's, it's cold in Canada. I might have left too. Yeah, I, I live, I've been living in uh, New York for almost 20 years. Ooh, what brought you? Yeah, exactly. I guess... Stand up, really. I was, you know, I was toiling around in Canada, actually Toronto at the time, and everyone in Toronto kept talking about like the bigger scene in New York, and I thought, well, I should get there before uh, I know what it's like to fail and have consequences. You know, I was just—I used to call it—I was just at the—I was still at the like really happy to have IKEA furniture point in my life. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say it's changed, by the way. I'm not going to say it's changed. <laughs> I wasn't sure if it was a boy or school that brought you. Um, what got you into comedy? You know what? I was just talking to another comedian that I'm on a tour with right now about how the first time I saw stand up comedy was at a club in Calgary, Alberta. Uh, and I didn't like it. 
at all, like live stand-up comedy. I'd seen it on television, et cetera, but live stand-up comedy, and I didn't like it. I thought it was very male. I thought it was very hateful. I thought it was nothing to do with me. And this comedian said back to me, he goes, but you still did it, huh? <laughs> well, isn't, isn't that isn't that what life is? When you see something that doesn't that doesn't affect or doesn't work for you, if you get into it to make the change, so if, even if you get in comedy to make it more positive, but you said nothing affected you, and you reached out to other people and you found your tribe, that is what it is. You have to find your tribe in comedy because comedy is subjective. You know, some people may like the mean and the, and the rude. Some people may like the joy. Some people may like the fun facts, you know, the simple stuff. Animal animal jokes work with everybody. Let me, animal jokes work with everybody, unless it's abusive. <laughs> but I love that. I love that. I was going to ask you, so what was the scene like in Alberta, Canada, in Alberta, in Alberta Calgary, Alberta, yeah. different from New York? Because I love East Coast comedy. I love East Coast comedy. Yeah. So I actually, the very first time I stepped on stage was in Vancouver. So as far West as you can go in the darn country. And it was, um, you know, I think it was, I had no perspective, but I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was very open. I, the, I was with other amateur comedians and let me tell you, there was a lot of women, there was people of different ages, different backgrounds. It actually never occurred to me until much later that there was so much kind of like white male energy in standup because a bunch of the amateurs that I was around, they were just all different. Like it never, it didn't occur to me that it would be weird to start when you were 55 or that it'd be weird to start if you were in high school. Like it was just so much variety. So in that way, it set me up pretty good. And then I learned the other lessons later. Comedy is is definitely a learning process. Every time you get on stage, I tell young comics this all the time, you will find something new about you, not about the audience. What about you? Yeah, absolutely. Ophira, so let, I'm, I'm, look, I'm, we, we have questions that I want to ask you. So you're the youngest of six? Yes. It feels like when I say that, I'm talking about being a child from a different generational era because it's uh, it's kind of rare that people have six kids rolling around. Yeah. Oh, my biggest question is, if you was the baby of six, did you ever get anything new or was everything a hand-me-down? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Everything was a hand-me-down. All my clothes, for sure. And on top of that, my mother, very old-fashioned, she was a uh, a very good seamstress. So even if things like were being handed down and they were the wrong size or my brothers, she would f- change them. <laughs> she would just change them. On the other no. side, I had uh, my Barbies had the most amazing clothes. My mother would make clothes from my Barbies, and they I had fur hats for them and really cool like green plastic see through raincoats from all just the different fabric. Mm. And so, um, yeah, my Barbies had a high fashion that were I, couture. They had bespoke couture outfits. Oh, <laughs> that is. That is so funny because your obsession was putting clothes on Bobby. My obsession was taking them off. 
Bobby, feel free to jump in here whenever you want to. I know. I'm just listening to her talk about making clothes because my mom did it, like the butt tricks. Remember the butt tricks um, patterns and whatnot? And my mother did the same thing. She would uh, take for us, she would take somebody else's outfit and or stuff they were getting rid of. And she would, she never, because she had it herself. She was one of 11, my mom. So they were poor. Yeah. So she would always be making people's clothes over. And so she would do that for me. And that way nobody else knew that had handed them down that that's exactly, they'd look and go, hmm, that looks familiar, but she'd remake everything. I love it. She was never so nice. I'm going to have to tell her she was a miserable mother. She never made clothes for any of my dolls. I never had. <laughs> you know what the irony of this whole conversation is, is that when we were big families, I didn't have a big family. My mama only had three, but my grandmother had like nine kids. I don't think that we knew that we were poor. They was just having kids. No. And we we were never hungry, you know, yep. things were tight, you know, but I don't think we knew we were poor. Now the internet makes you, remi reminds you that you're poor, right. you're, you're, you're less than, you're not as good as, that's what they make you try to believe. I don't teach my children. It's true. You know, the it's one, so re true. the one thing I, I knew that there was different is that when I grew up, uh, it was, it was a time of, of economic prosperity for my family comparatively. And so, mm -hmm. um, I was given ballet lessons. I wanted ballet lessons and I was given ballet lessons and no other of the kids had extracurricular activities paying for an mm -hmm. extracurricular. Are you crazy? But I got ballet lessons and I will tell you that somehow that ended up making me a stand-up because I went through, I went, I went through all these ballet lessons from uh, elementary school all the way through high school. And my school was pretty serious and I worked hard, but I was never great. And they would give out awards. And I remember at the end of, I think I was, you know, 14, everyone got awards like best pirouette or amazing jeté or whatever it was. And I got Miss Personality. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, that's the, that's the, we just, that's the, you just showed up award. <laughs> yeah. Nothing says you're not going to be a dancer. Try. Yeah. Oh my God, but that's, but it probably did get you ready because you were mm -hmm. comfortable being in front of a stage, you know, in front of people. Um, that, you know. that, and it built you a character because now everybody is given an award. So there's no distinction of who's the best, who's the second best, because everybody now gets, oh, you get an honorable mention. It makes people weak to me. I, that's just my opinion. I like mm -hmm. these kids need to work for it. Don't, that's true. Oh, we're glad you participated. But you have to work to get this trophy, but they don't have that anymore because everybody wants to be rewarded yeah. for nothing. That is so true. And it's true. I also, it, it, it really, it, 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 yeah. I also think like just the discipline of doing something all the time and maybe not being good at it as, you know, ballet and, and that dance did not come supernaturally to me. My body was not, you know, something like the physical like that. There are people with just advantages based on how their genetics are put together. Mm -hmm. And the rest of us have to work really, really hard to just get okay. And let me tell you something, that is a good thing to learn for stand-up comedy. Because stand-up comedy requires a huge commitment yeah. and a lot of discipline. I think some people go faster. Some people start really naturally great. But at a certain point, you're all going to die. <laughs> and you got to deal yeah. with it. Oh, yeah. And any, any comedian worth their weight in salt would say, I've had some lousy nights and I survived oh, yeah. it because that's what you have to do. It was one show. If you come take that whole component on, was like, I wasn't good. It was one show. You might have two shows bad back to back. Now, if you have three or more, you might want to rethink your profession. But 
don't you learn something though, guys? I mean, because I'm not a I'm not a comedian. When you have those bad shows, isn't there something like a pearl that you can pull away and say, I didn't hit the timing right, or um, maybe for this you have to change your set for a certain audience because you know if you, you neither one of you are too raunchy, but if you were doing raunchy things, you're not going to do it in front of a a seven year old audience. No, it's a, it's like a lesson, right? I think you have to accept the process of it too, which is its own kind of interesting mind shift because I sometimes will have a string of not great shows at like a club. And I'll say to another comedian that I highly respect and look up to like, Oh my God, I got to like get through this rut. And they go, Oh, you know, every once in a while I'll just do a bunch of shows and I'll even go, I'll say to myself, am I even a comedian? And just to know that everyone's always going through that. And I think that's better because like you said, Bobby, it makes you reflect and go, what's different? What do I need to change? Something's not working. I need yeah. to grow with this instead of just going like, well, just keep doing yeah. it. It will work again. Yeah, that, that is that is very true, Afira, because a lot of comedians take on and every show got to hit, 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 hit. And I love, I love when I have a string of 12 straight great shows in a row. But then when that 13 will come, I'm going to allow that to have more, more power of me having a bad show than the 12 that 12 consistently good shows I've had. And you're right, Ophelia, we do question like, oh, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Um, should I be a comedian? Because it, it, it's like that. And, you know, and, and for us, who've been in the game for 20 years, it's still like that. It is October and um, it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And we see in your uh, mm. bio that your mom survived breast me. cancer. So nope. thank God. Ophira, Ophira. Me. Oh, you survived yeah. it? Yes. Are you look? I, I have to get mammograms too, Ophira. I hope they don't find no lump in my. It's a couple of lumps in here, but I think they like donuts or a biscuit or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> how was how was that? Uh, when, when you were diagnosed with that, how how was that? I mean, you know the. The non-funny side of it is that it broke me apart into pieces. I think because you feel, I felt a sense of intense betrayal, betrayal of my body, betrayal of the world. Like I was like, this is not my story. This is not how it's supposed to be. I don't want to deal with this. Um, being, you know, I grew up in Canada, but I've obviously lived in the U.S. for many years. But dealing with the medical system is very hard. You have to stand up for yourself a lot and really wade through that. I will say that, you know, when I was eight, I went on stage a lot every time I could throughout all of it. And the stage became my my refuge because, you know, you're so active yeah. when you're on stage. You're so active. It, you know, people talk about live in the moment, be present. There's no living in the moment like you are when you're on stage. And I could kind of pretend I was what the old Ophira. Like I, I wasn't ready yet to move on to whoever I was going to be coming up. I didn't know who that was because I was in the middle of it. But I could be the old Ophira and I loved it. I loved living in yeah. this kind of suspended fantasy of everything's okay, you know? And um, you you get the light. I'm sure many of your listeners know from listening to all your episodes as a stand-up, they often give you the light when it's time to get off stage at a club and I would want, I wouldn't want to get off because I'd be like, then I have to go back to reality. Yeah. As, as, a, as a person who, a transgender woman who have breath, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you thank you for choosing to fight to live because a lot of times it's mind over matter to people, to, with me, to people because you, you hear something horrible and, oh, this is it for me. This, I'm done. This is, it's not. You have to turn it around mentally because the mind controls everything. 
And I love you. Thank you for choosing to fight and winning. Thank you for that. Because a lot of people just throw in the towel and say, it's over. I'm done. I'm going to die. This is it. It's never it. It's never it. Unless you choose for it to be it. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That is so... So nice to hear. And it is, it is scary. And, um, you know, I feel like there is, I I became very aware of, you know, that kind of life force in you where you kind of get, uh, I don't know, I I got a little angry. Like I was like, I can't wait to get through this so I can make fun of it. And I want to write about it. And I want to, I also, I just wanted I didn't relate to the pink ribbon campaign. I didn't relate to a lot of the stuff that was like, all right, everybody, you have breast cancer, throw in a pink bow on, hop on a bike. I was like, no, like, where are, where are the people like me that want the, I don't know, goth version? Like, oh, let's all dress in black and have a bourbon shot and talk about how things are weird, you know? (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to, I wanted to be there. You were so young too, so serious. I know. And out of nowhere, you know, I think they ply us with genetics and I didn't have any of the markers. So it just felt like, you know, and that's the truth of all so many things in the medical industry. You want answers. You're like, well, how did it happen? Where does it come from? And sometimes they just go, I don't know. Hard. That is so hard. Somebody's got to be first. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's got to be first. And and how many children do you have? I just have one, but he feels like many. Well, you you are older, right? So I had mine really young. So you have tons of energy. So having one that's a little—if I ever had one—I mean, my God, I'd have to take a nap and a snack just to get them out of bed. I don't know how you. Do Thank you. Thank you, Flame. How how many? I have three. My pullout game and what it, my pullout game was not as tight as it is now. <laughs> you learn. It's it's called trial by error. Trial by error. I kept I kept getting caught up. But uh, how much? How much does your child did, did you take to use as material on stage? Because my children have become my greatest material from experience. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, for one, I think, I mean, it's a gold mine out there. If you don't use it, you are missing out. Yeah. And two, I, yeah. yeah, so I just so much. And I even host a podcast called Parenting as a Joke, which, by the way, you need to come on, where we talk about a uh, funny people con- comedians because you know this is a very non-traditional job we have with weird hours and what it's like to parent on top of that so i use my um uh, my kid in my act as much as possible you know bearing in mind that i think as he gets older i'll have to maybe pull back a little bit because i don't want him to ever feel like i'm talking about him on stage you know uh, but it's a gold mine. And I also like the fact that I, you know, I come from this perspective where I was, I was child, I thought I was going to be childless by choice forever. I changed my mind and g- managed to get pregnant, you know, by a miracle and have a child. And I like talking about it on stage because I want, I want everyone to kind of look at me and just think that it's cool and it's relevant and it's real, um, you know, because I think some people go, oh, like parenting humor. It's, I don't know, like not, not cool, right? It's like, uh, mo- especially mom humor will oh. be like, oh, it's not cool. And I'm like, no, it's totally cool. It's, it's uh, totally relevant. And y- I, you're going to laugh at this because it's part of the human experience and I cannot tell you the amount of people that come up to me after a show and basically secretly just want to know all kinds of things. They're like, did you, did you have fertility things? Like people are so 
curious if they are thinking of having a family. Like, and how are you doing with the night? So many questions. So I feel like that's good. I must be hitting some conversation yeah. that people aren't having. And that is what a great comedian is to me, my, my opinion, Phil. Someone who can talk about stuff that is relatable to everybody. Not, no, not, no gender, no sex, no size, no color. But it's relatable. So you are helping and teaching somebody. But I, my kids, I always tell them, as much money as y'all cost me, oh, I'm getting my money back on stage. I tell my kids up on stage. I tell their asses up with here. I got to get them. They spend my money. I'm getting my money back. So if you guys are the bane of my material, if y'all are the basis of my material and it relates across the world, I'm getting my money back. That's amazing. And it's identifiable. I mean, I love that. That's the storytelling and the family storytelling. Like that's what, when I first saw Flame, uh, it was the They Ready um, special that Tiffany Haddish had, yeah. had produced. And I immediately connected as she was talking. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. You know, so I think people, you know, I think the bulk of the people actually identify that it's relatable as long as it's not too whiny. Like you're not like poor me, as long as you're making fun of the situation or, you know, doing that. I, I think it's terrific. Yeah, because the hypocrisy is if we have children, especially like adolescents or teenagers, they're pretty much the same people. They look different, but they do pretty much the same thing. So that's why it's so relatable. We may call it something different, but it's the yeah. same thing. And they say the terrible twos. I say, no, honey, wait till they get oh, 15. You I have can't no even idea. imagine. I'm just dealing with an, uh, an eight-year-old. Luck. So I have no idea. But, you know, on, on top of that, I really, I think there is this sort of um, framework, especially for, you know, a, a, a woman on stage just identifying as a woman, that the audience, there's this idea that the audience needs to see you as a sexually viable product. And so sometimes when you talk about parenting, <laughs> they're going to be like, oh, I don't see it as much. Yeah. So I'm also trying to be like, no, and I'm not, I'm not, also a like wine in the sippy cup it's wine o'clock like i enjoy a drink don't get me wrong but it's not really my um that's not my tone and so and i'm like there's got to be other people like me who want something just a little like a little smarter a little different way into this conversation yeah, yeah. it is it is great that is great to relate so i feel when i'm on stage when i do my hour i do this thing at the end of like 45 50 minutes it's called um uh, if you're not scared to ask it, I'm not scared to answer it. And maybe you should consider, because you're a great conversationalist, while you're on stage, after you finish your set, have them turn the house lights up and let people ask you real questions about the breast, yeah. you know, about the breast cancer, about being a parent. About, it is, it, what it does, it, it really brings your audience to you. Then they feel like, oh my God, not only did I go see Ophira, but now I'm a part of the show. It is so, and I do that all the time because people have a million questions as opposed to me standing in line taking pictures and they want to ask all the questions then. Ask it now when I give you the opportunity because when the, I don't want to take your pictures. They got COVID. I don't mm. want to take your pictures. Leave me alone. That's wonderful. No, that's wonderful. <laughs> I know right now it's scary. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Every other person. I think you would be great at that, Ophir. I think that, and I think that you would really help because that's what we, as comedians, I love what you said about when you're going through something, when your son is giving you a hard time or you're having a bad day. When you go on stage, that is when your power kick in because not only is it our therapy that we can talk to somebody openly about it, but we get a chance to just own the room and, and it just makes all of that bad go away because I'm like, I got an audience. They're sitting this, I'm sitting my fat ass on a chair and they listen to everything I say. That's a great place to be. Yeah. You know, when someone, you talk about something that you're going through or someone else is going through something traumatic, but then they make a joke, it communicates that they're okay in some way. Right, because you have enough 
of right. this sort of hindsight, you know, comedy and stand up and humor has always been part of that, showing that we're okay. And I feel like when you go on stage and you start, you know, this is just classic, when you start going through those hard things and finding the little twist in it, that tells your audience that you're okay. And you know what? They want to be okay. Yeah. They are so desperate to be okay with whatever they're going. That's why they're yeah. there. And that is so true, Ophir. And I love that you know that. You know, I talk about this and tell people as young comics, I say, you have to read the room that you're working. I, I am not a huge Trump fan as far as his politics, mm. but I love his antics. <laughs> so when I go on stage, I don't talk about his politics, political views. I talk about his antics that he liked to grab women by the coochie. I'm like, please introduce oh, him to God. me. Oh, I want him to grab me by man. Please introduce me to him. You know, just <laughs> because if I'm working in a room full of Trumplicans and I have what I'm being on tour with Dave right now, his audience mm. is probably 60 percent Trump supporters. If I go on stage and attack Trump, they will hate me. If I attack his pol his political views, but if I attack his character that we all laugh at, I, I make it easy. And what you said about having a funny impact, you can give out information to people and you can go deep into the dark hole. But if you come out of it with a funny, they still hear it, but the impact is so much different. That's good shit, Ophira. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Well, you're clearly the living I love example. I that, that because people forget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to get them past these titties, Ophira. When I get them past, <laughs> as long as you get past the smile and these titties, we're good. But once you get past that, then you hear me. <laughs> awesome. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or MBC, which is breast cancer that has spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, palbociclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. 
When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Speaking about being a parent, uh, Ophira, I'm actually going to ask you, Flame, the same question. What would you say is the biggest, I want to hear on the big kid side Mm. and the little kid side, having a little one and trying to do this type of job, what do you find are the biggest challenges? I I mean, the hours are pretty intense because um, my child does not sleep in. (laughs) <laughs> so it's like, you know, in every parenting book you'll mm-hmm. read, especially when they're really little, will be like, you need time for yourself. Just get up an hour before everybody in the family gets up. You're like, oh, so I should go to bed at 2 a.m. when I get home from my sets. And then I should get up at, what is that, 5? So just three hours of sleep for me? Of course. Why not? I need nothing. <laughs> so the hours, um, the hours suck, but there's other things that you know, are great about it because we, I have a, I have a very flexible schedule. Also we can, we can do things and I, you know, he, he can come with me to shows probably in a few years, not exactly watch the comedians, but I think that's an interesting insight into the world, which I never had. And, you know, there's a lot of flexibility and travel. Um, And, but that, yeah, I feel like that is the main thing is just, the hours, the hours. Yeah. Now, what is your support system like? Ophelia? I so mm, other than my partner, uh, my husband is. Um, I would pay for it. That would be the end of it. <laughs> Everything. Everyone else. Yeah. yeah. My parents aren't around anymore, yeah. and my husband's parents are not in a situation to do any real childcare. Mm-hmm. And I moved away from my extended family. My husband didn't really have like yeah. we are. We are just like it's us or we pay for it. <laughs> so yeah, that's right. what it is. I, listen, I understand that totally. But what, what, what you said about taking your kid to the comedy club, I had a three-year-old, a three-month-old, and a three-and-a-half-year-old. I would take them to the comedy clubs with me and sit them in the green room Yeah. while I went on stage because I, I, I had to get on stage. They would sit in the green room and, you know, I had to change my clothes or what have you. My children have been a part of my, uh, uh, my career life their whole lives so they don't and i'm with you i have no support system here i moved from chicago to long beach and i didn't know anybody 
And my mom, I was not leaving it with them. I was leaving it with their grandmother on the mother's side. The mother was out the picture. So it was just yeah. us. And I love, you just had to make it work because when you're a stand-up comedian and it's in you, there is an itch that has to be scratched. And the only way to scratch it is on a stage with a microphone sometimes. And more often than not, when that itch hits you, it's like a crackhead. You get, well, I, I've never been a crackhead. Not yet anyway. I've tried a lot of other things, but not that. Uh, it, when it hits you, you got to get out there and you got to scratch that itch because it makes you, you'll go insane if you don't. And that's the truth. You will go insane if you can't get an audience. And the internet doesn't no. do it for me. If you're ripping from the cup from the same car, I need a room. It could be smoke filled. I need, a, I need asses in the seats and I need to feel the energy. I do. I need to feel the energy. Yeah. And you know, uh, the one thing that I think of, I have no hindsight on this yet, but another comedian, great comedian, Laurie Kilbarton said to me that she was like, our kids get this unique perspective where they're going to see their parent who is in entertainment actually making a living from it, which I didn't have. I had no idea that you could Mm -hmm. make any, like there was, I had no anyone to look up to and go like, oh, that's a viable choice. But our kids for better or worse, they're going to be like, oh, maybe I'll do that. Because you can make a career and support people off of that. And then we will tell them, no, no, yeah. no. You pick something secure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and and I love what you said about comedy being a white male dominated field, which it still really oh, yeah. is. It really is a white male dominated field. The difference is I'm not a white male, but I am a black male female and I play no games, baby. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a combination of everything. Yeah. So yeah, you got to come with it all because I don't let you slide. But I do stand for when I am. I'm a very strong advocate for biological women, and that is all in all aspects of my career and in life. And uh, I do get a lot of backlash because of that, Ophira. And uh, how do you feel? Has it changed? You've been doing comedy what? Yeah, 20 almost now? twenty years. Has it changed as a female comedian from what you see now? From what you saw back so then. I just feel it I, it has changed and I feel like where we're at now I think there is a lot of it that is better but it's not across the board I feel like it's just there's more sort of pockets like I think my best audience is as diverse in every manner as possible that is like I, I don't want to play to me I don't want to play to parents I don't want to play to uh white people or just moms I want I want every, I don't want to play to a specific age rate. I want every age in there. I want people from every economic situation. Like that to me, I love it when I always fight for tickets to be pretty inexpensive or have a sliding scale. Because I'm like, people should be allowed to come to shows for five bucks. They should be allowed to be in that room if they don't have the money. How do we, how do we get these people in the room? Because that is a good audience. And I I perform in New York. I feel like it's pretty good, but there's still lineups that I'm on where I'm the only woman. It's crazy. And I I feel like nobody, in some ways you go, there must be a lot of backlash that there's just not more diversity on the stage in every manner. And then you just go, or does nobody care? And then I'll go to other rooms where the lineup, you know, everyone is just coming from a completely different perspective. And you know what? That's a good show. That is a good show. Yeah. So it's like better in some I am, places. I, than I, I hate than shows with no women. <laughs> I really, I really don't care for comedy shows with no women. I'm, I push that all the time up here because you have to have everybody's perspective. I, I want to hear, of course, I want to hear the men talk about 
the woman and this and that. But I want to hear the woman's version of it. I want to hear the opposite side of it because they, and which is which is what I do on stage because I am the man and sometimes the girl at the same time on stage. But I like <laughs> to have a woman on the show because a woman's perspective is value is valuable. And I think it has changed for women because it's it's like it's what you said though. The pay might not be the same, but the the um what is the word I'm looking for, Bobby? When you you see it more, you, oh, just more representation. The, the, the representation is better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see so many women now, and thank you, Joan Rivers, for oh. that. Joan Rivers was thank you, uh, 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 Ruth Buzzy, for that. Thank you. What was her name? Who was funny looking as hell? Phyllis oh, Diller. Phyllis because Diller. they were in the they were in the trenches when they were treated badly and and underpaid and overworked or they had to sleep with somebody to get a position and that, that it's not like that don't still happen. But they paved the way for so many women to Elaine Boozer yeah. to say, Hey, we're here, see us, Whoopi Goldberg. They were out there and they're still here. They made a way for so many female comics to now Dominic, my only issue with some female comics is when the when the set isn't going well, they immediately go to therapy. Don't go to therapy because that shows fear. <laughs> it does. Don't run to therapy. They'll go. So the set don't. The first two or three jokes don't land. They go to. Well, you know, I'm having a hard time. Oh. You know, I'm just going through a divorce. Don't go to therapy. The audience does not care about that. Stay on that set and make them buy what you're selling. It's going to be rough sometimes, but make them buy. I make them buy. Yeah, I ain't going to therapy. <laughs> My my favorite line is y'all didn't get that one. Fuck y'all. Let's go to the next. <laughs> you know, you know uh, supposedly, and I I don't know if this is uh, true, but Judy Garland of all people, before she would go on stage, supposedly would hold either side of the velvet curtain, and to psych herself up before she opened up and did her show, she would just go fuck them, fuck them, fuck them, and then hello. And I think about that very often. I'm like, that's the mentality. I think that I think that builds such a strong resistance to you that I am here. Y'all paid right. to come and see me. Y'all paid right. to come and laugh with me. So don't let me get in my head to block what I'm about to bring to the joy I'm about to bring to this audience. And a lot of comedians do that. They worry about oh, what, what if they don't like me? I don't give a. I'm, I love that. I don't give a damn if you don't like. Me. I love me. <laughs> I mean, that's a huge, huge part of it. I feel like I'm still learning that because I was raised and whatever, just so approval-based, people-pleaser. Oh, is this good enough? How about this? Maybe if I did it this way, you would like me. Maybe if I was this way, you would like me. And yeah. so that's a constant uh, hurdle for me to jump over, which is kind of like interesting because I still do that in real life, even though I combat it. But on stage, I, you know, I live for authority for being like, I'm in control. I tell you when to breathe. Yeah. I tell you when to clap. Let's do this. And you know, that's, that's where I like, that's my, that's the ideal. I had to back up on fear when you said that. I'm like, maybe she has a penis. Let me, let me question. <laughs> Does she have a penis? <laughs> because that is the attitude that I need some of these female comedians to have when they go on stage. Because sometimes they feel weaker standing next to the men. Absolutely not. You are doing the exact same job that he is doing. Yeah. Plus, there's people in that audience that True. want to hear you. Don't take that away from them. They're actually there. Like, why? Right. Why? Why would you already tell them that they don't that they made a mistake? There, there's 
there's always going to be, I'm, I'm a, we all are, I think as, as standups, like uh, experts in finding someone in the audience we can see maybe before the lighting provides us only a couple rows who is not having a good time. And you don't know, you don't know if they had a terrible day, if their, if their idea of laughing is just a big thin smile, like, I don't know, but you make that person, all of your fears and all of your self hate (laughs) And all of your failure and rejection, you put it all on that person instead of looking at all the other people Mm -hmm. that might be having a good time. And that's another exercise you got to work yourself through. Yeah. You say you've been here 20 years over here. Are you a United States citizen? I just became one a couple of years ago. April of 21, right? Yeah. How difficult was that? Okay. So I have almost failed every test I've ever taken in my entire life. Get in. If I had to take a test to get in, I wouldn't get in. I'd be sitting on the floor. It was, uh, I studied so hard and you have to study from a hundred questions and then they ask you 10 in the room. And let me tell you, the, the questions I got asked were very simple. It was like, who, you know, who serves for the president? If the president cannot serve, what is the name of the ocean on the West side of the country? I mean, they weren't very tricky, but I was in the waiting room, I remember, with a bunch of other people that were there to take the test. And I was like, why does no one but me have flashcards? Like, everybody else just seemed so calm. And I was going through my handmade flashcards. Uh, and I was so nervous. I would, too. Yeah. I always wondered what, what entailed become what kind of test they gave you to become an American citizen. I'm like, well, what would you ask me? Who was the president? What year it yep. was? I would have said Roosevelt, 1947. <laughs> <laughs> I like the question that, that she just said, like, if the president's out, who would be in? I, I don't think half of the people today realize the, the peril that we're in without a speaker. They don't get that they're next, next in line, you know, even if the party is different. So I think um, I love that. I think I think we'd all should have, have to have some sort of test like that, whether it's to graduate high school, whether it's people just don't understand politics now. Not that I I don't have great understanding for the for the intricacies, but for the basics to just know the basics and how your government works, um, because it's really tricky. I don't know how it is in Canada. Is there a huge difference um, between the way the politics I, in Canada are or the way? Yeah, it a little bit. I mean, because this is the parliamentary system, so it's more based on there's many right. parties and based on majorities. But you know the the Speaker of the House as it were, the, the Speaker of Parliament in Canada was recently ousted. I saw Yeah, that. so, I mean, there is, there's the same amount, I would say, of... Uh, his name is, his name wouldn't be McCarthy, too, would he? <laughs> his brother, <laughs> his brother. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So there's like, you know, and, and here I would say there is, and it's more in America now, but there is such a focus in a good way, I hope continually good way, on Indigenous rights and um, recognizing uh, the peril that the indigenous people have had to uh, have been subjected to since, mm-hmm. you know, settlers came here right around this time of year. Yeah. 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 We just changed our Columbus Day in Massachusetts anyway, to which is where yeah. I'm from, to Indigenous yeah. Day. So they got a day. They got they got a day. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, there is. There's, there's a- I'm, I'm seriously considering moving to Canada. We get if our government don't change, I just don't want to deal with that cold weather because good God, it gets cold. It is cold, by the way. I'm in Canada right now, and I looked out the window this morning, and I was like, "How did I used to live like this?" <laughs>
It's so pretty though. It's so pretty up there. Everything is so lush and gorgeous. And yeah. Yeah, that's Ooh. how you did it. And you didn't know any better. Like when we're kids, we, we don't, don't know. know. And then as your your bones get a little older, you're going, oh, when you get out of bed, that's, oh. I make a noise. My dog doesn't even raise his head unless I make the noise. When I make the noise, he goes, oh, we're up. <laughs> oh, that's the sound of breakfast. Breakfast is soon. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer or MBC, which is breast cancer that has spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palbociclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR positive HER2 negative NBC as the first hormonal based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrands, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
as a comedian, we all have goals and we all have things that we're pushing for. Who would be your ideal uh, team to be on a tour with? Uh, oh, uh, wow. That's a great question. You know, I, again, just because um, I was just watching, I, I was reading her book and w- watching her special and I have been on tour with her and it was really fun, but she's just so different than me. Uh, do you know Maria Bamford? Oh, I know that yeah. name. Yeah, I know the name. I don't know from material. Very, but very different. Yeah, yeah, storytelling. She does some characters, just wildly different. I just think like so unique. I have never had the chance to meet Wanda Sykes, but I have been obsessed with her for years and years. Mm-hmm. That would be incredible. Yeah, Wanda is a great punch up uh, Joker too. She's a great writer. She's a better to me. She's a better writer than she is a comedian, honestly. But because she punched up one of my jokes on They Ready, and it was just instantaneous. And I love to be in a room with other comics, and they watch your set, and they actually listen to you without judging. And then they say, "Hey, can I can I tell you this? How to punch that joke up?" Because a lot of comedians get you know get get upset about that. I'm not though. If you can hear it and you can make it funnier. Give it to me because I'm going to do it immediately. I love that. You know what I've even found every once in a while, Flame, is that a stand-up will pay me a compliment. They'll be like, oh, I really like your joke where you say blah, 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 blah. And they'll say it in different wording than the way I said it. And I'll be like, oh, that's the better wording that <laughs> you just said in the way that I should be saying. Yeah. <laughs> and to me, that speaks volumes of to who you are, your character as a comedian, because if you shut down and you're not willing to learn because you think you've already arrived, you'll never get to the destination that you should get to because you're already there. Mm-hmm. You, in your mind, I'm already the greatest. So if I'm already the greatest, there's no room for improvement. There's always room. For oh, I have so much yet to do. So much. The list is long. Yeah. You know, my one. Of, that's one of my regrets that I never had a chance to meet and work with Joan Ugh. Rivers. I think that Joan Rivers and I would have gotten along famously, and we would have been oh, yeah. uh, cut up like you wouldn't believe. It, no, you, no, true. You couldn't have been under thirty-five to be in the room with us because our language would have been quite colorful, like a costume. <laughs> but it would have been great. You know, <laughs> uh, I feel the same way. And I was close. I was pretty close to interviewing her. A a bunch of years ago now and it didn't ever quite happen and I'm always like oh it, w- it was so we so close and it didn't happen uh and yeah it just makes me very sad and I will say that you know my parents much older as I am the youngest of six but they were just also older because my mom had me older and when I told my mom you know when I was I don't know I guess 22 that I wanted to try to do stand-up comedy. I hadn't really done it yet. She, her only touch point was seeing Joan Rivers in Las Vegas. And she was like, like Joan Rivers in a bar? That's what she said to me. And I was like, yeah, that's the goal. (laughs) (laughs) So you said you had a baby. You, oh, go ahead, Bobby. I'm sorry. No, no. I said she must have had, she must have had the vapors. It's always going, (laughs) what? Go on, Flame. Oh, Phil, you had your baby. Your mom had you older too. How now? You had your baby at forty-five. How Forty. Was, how was forty-two. Your yeah, you? my mom was forty-two, and I was forty-two. Oh, so yeah. Oh, so you stayed right. I know. Oh, I mean, see, it, everything is just it, yeah. Who knew? That's like sometimes it's like weird coincidence like that, where you're like, hmm, who knew that would be the case? Or um, now, 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 now I'm going to really get it. Now I want to get into the meat of something, Phil. I don't mean to no, cut you please. off, but because you 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 were diagnosed with breast cancer at forty, right? Yeah. 
did that make because I remember you said that you didn't have any children, you weren't in the cars, but did that make you really want to have a baby once you realized that you had birth cancer? Okay, so my initial response to this would be no, but I've thought about this a lot and I've really um, you know, take it apart, my emotions on it, and I have some hindsight. And I do think the answer to that flame is yes, because I think there was something in yeah. me, and I've always felt this way. I've always, uh, my, it was, my husband brings it up all the time. He goes, I remember you always said to me, let's try to do every aspect of life that's positive and interesting that we can. Like, let's just try to do it all. Anything that's of interest and, and, propelling us to a fun, new, interesting experience. Let's try to do it. And I think at in my recovery, I thought, I don't want to miss out on this experience in my life. If I can do it, great. If I can't do it, you know, I, I, I was like, I'll, I'll figure out if I want to go down any further avenues. But to begin with, we'll just try. And, um, it was a little bit of a long road because honestly, I, I did get pregnant and I miscarried much like, I don't know, I'm going to say something, a statistic, mm -hmm. not based in facts, 99% of women, uh, even irregardless of your age. And I had mm -hmm. a, I had a, um, a strange miscarriage in the sense that it was pretty rare, not dangerous, but it was called a, um, partial molar pregnancy. So there were cells in me that could turn into cancer. So then, I had to give blood to make sure that there wasn't a cancer, a new cancer, hooray, growing in me for every week for six months. And at that point, I thought, I'm never doing any of this again, any of this. I never want to see a doctor. It was yeah. so dark and I thought, I can't do it. And then as a good storyteller, I thought, what would be the happiest ending to this story? If I could write this story however I wanted what would be the happiest ending to this story? And I thought the happiest ending to my story in this moment would be for me to bring, get it, bring a child into my life and have a loving family. And so I was just dead set on trying to make that happen. I, I love that. And I love that you have a healthy, happy bundle of joy. Listen, you're not by yourself. I had a baby at 41 oh. and a half. So we yep. together. Different, I, I didn't carry it. <laughs> Lucky. <laughs> but, oh, that is, that is like really pushing the envelope for a woman to have a baby at that age, isn't it? It's amazing. You know, I think the, I, you know, obviously they have these lovely terms, geriatric pregnancy. I always enjoyed that. But you, you know, where every time they're like, do you want to do any testing? They just pull out these binders. <laughs> Everybody else gets a pamphlet. You get a binder. And I do remember, though, seeing a genetic counselor to just go through whatever possibilities of testing. And she said something really compelling to me, which is that the data that they use, you know, because so much in our world has changed, that the data that they use is still basically 20 years old because they have to go through this data. And it was taken at a time where they didn't know a lot about the humans that they were getting data from. They didn't know anything about their lifestyle, anything about... um you know, were they smokers? Were they drinkers? Did they, whatever. So the data is not great. So she was like, we put all this stuff on people of a certain age or a certain background. She goes, it's based on not great data. She goes, you are providing genetic data yeah. that is going to help women in the future. Uh, hats off to you for, for going through with it and not finding a dark place. Man, you had a baby that you're so happy with. And I love what you said that you told your husband that you guys were going to do everything positive because the world is so 
parked right now on negative negativity wins and sales always like you wouldn't believe right now if it's negative oh it's the best thing if it's somebody a kid eighth grader who got accepted into a medical college nobody no. cares. <laughs> that is terrible to me it's horrible the cancel culture that we're in i right know now. can we it seems i'm so glad that we weren't brought up in social media. The three of us were lucky that that didn't exist. Can we go back to um, sex cells? Yeah. Can we just go back to that? Forget hatred. <laughs> like, who knew I would say this? Can we go back to sex cells? I'm about to start my OnlyFans page. <laughs> I'm going to tell jokes while naked. <laughs> Why not? Double naked. I'm going to tell jokes while naked and erect. Look, naked and erect. Let me see how much money I make. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. That's brilliant. That is true stand-up. <laughs> Everything's standing up on this that, special. That would, everything is standing up. That's what we're gonna call it. The stand up show. Oh my god, that is hysterical. Now keeping keeping it standing up for longer than twenty minutes might be the hard part, but I'm just saying. See all of that is bad. The hard part, standing up. Oh my god. Okay, next next up. Bad flame away. I love it. Oh fear you oh my god. I think you're so delightful. I, I'm, I'm sorry that I haven't had a chance to get to know you, know you, but I'm looking forward to working with you somewhere. And I'm on tour right now with Dave I Chappelle know. and with Tiffany. If we come anywhere close to New York, I am going to reach out to you to make sure that you are. Oh my goodness! Show, are please? I definitely want are you, you are you coming to New York? Not yet. You don't have a, st- a date yet. I know you will. Uh well, they keep adding. They keep adding. They keep adding dates to the tour. So if we come close to New oh, York, and I'm on yes. the show, I'll definitely make sure I invite you. But. um I, I, I did New York. I did Caroline's. I was just there with Dave for when he taped the Madison yes. for four days for his birthday. And we did the cellar. Now, have you ever done the yeah, cellar? Yeah, I do the cellar. I'm part of that little world. Um, so I like that, that was my first time going to the cellar. I ripped it too. How did you, you liked it? Oh, I tore it in yeah. half. Let me tell you something. The cellar had never seen nothing like me. The <laughs> cellar had never seen nothing. I took the cellar from the cellar to the basement. Good God. <laughs> I know it's such a that's a fun stage. I mean, they they have four stages, but they there's a real good energy there, and that is it's always high quality. I love performing there because it does make you better because you are going up with yes. all the greats all the time, and and that is a very pertinent place to be because if I'm working with, and I don't want to call anybody a substandard comic or just not a very known comic or kind of newish, it. You only have to be better than them. But when you work with monsters, you have to catapult yourself to be on the level of those monsters or you will be completely inadequate. So I I love the challenge of that. I love the challenge of that. And also it makes, you know, I think sometimes we, you know, especially if you're headlining a lot and that's all your people in the crowd, is that you can kind of like walk down the garden path for the first couple minutes while you're sort of like a little uh, sorbet and an appetizer and an amuse-bouche. But when you're on those showcase Mm -hmm. sets and you just followed someone that's slayed, you got to get up there and like throw it out there in the first 30 seconds. There is no time for yeah. a little garden party. Yeah. And, and, and that's a great challenging point. And I know a lot of comics, big, big names, Dave Chappelle, like my, Dave Chappelle, Cat Williams, so many Kevin Hart, so many, uh, hell, uh, Chelsea Handler. They won't, well, they will put really, really funny comics on their lineup. But there are some comedians out here that the, the openers, cannot be that funny they have to be only okay or mediocre to make them look like the super giants uh, to me i think that's no challenge there is no there's nothing for no me. i need the meat you be my meat so i can be the pot for the meat 
but they don't look that's at all like ego I'm, I'm not like that's that. all ego hilariously funny before me. yeah you know like i as a as, as an audience member don't you want your audience member to go that show was amazing from the second it started to the second it ended rather than like 20 minutes in it got better yeah 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 yeah, I love that. I love when I, I say that. Oh my God, Ophira. I think we are. I told you we were kin. <laughs> yeah, we're the same person. I'm just you. I'm just you without the coochie. I know. We got to um, hang. I love, and I say that all the time. I say that all the time because if, if it's Ophira's show and every, all the comments were good and Ophira was maybe one, it was one of Ophira's off nights. She was just okay. But they paid to come see Ophira. It's still Ophira's show. Right. Ophira's show was great. Now, the other comments were be- might have been better that night, but it's still Ophira's show. A lot of people miss that. Yep. Appetizer, main course, dessert, it all should be the best. The best. That's what I want. It's the truth. Especially with, as you had said earlier, the prices of, of tickets, especially for the big ones. The tickets are outrageously expensive. Yeah. So I want... Yeah. I. I'm going to be the first person in my seat. I want to see all of the people that open and I want all of them to be good. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I want the most bang for my Absolutely. box. So I agree with the both of you. So fear, I want to ask you two other questions. I want to know about uh, Canada's healthcare system as opposed to America's healthcare mm. system because you were diagnosed here, right? Yeah. In America. Yep. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, yuck. you know, I, yuck. <laughs> uh, I, oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. I will say, so I remember the moment I went to see a doctor just for um, nothing, a cold when I first moved to America and I walked in and I checked in with, for my appointment and then they handed me a clipboard and the woman asked me about payment. And I think I literally said to her, that is so rude that you are asking me about money before I've even seen a doctor to talk about my care. Not understanding, that's the way it works. Like the idea of someone, it just was so foreign and bizarre to me and cold. I was just like, what are you talking about? And that's the whole America treats it like you're a customer, not a patient, right? Because uh, you are yeah, kettle, kettle call. You are a customer, and so you know there's a lot of things about the Canadian healthcare system that are problematic and broken, just like any healthcare system. But I will say this: I, you know, this is going to be a, a very meaty two line um, sentence or or two line paragraph. But I survived a very bad car accident when I was a child and almost died. And that mm. for most American families would have bankrupted their family for the rest of their life. And it did not cost my family a dollar. Wow. America, are you listening? So <laughs> like it was not an Bernie issue. Bernie Sanders is anyway. Yeah. It was not an issue of like, how are we going to pay to keep our daughter alive? It was just never an issue. And I'm here. Guess what? I made it. Okay. It's not like they were putting me together yeah, with and, duct tape. And, and look and keep surviving. Girl, let me tell you something. In this in this in this hour that we have done, you have survived breast cancer. You had a baby at an early age. You survived the miscarriage. You survived the car accident. You survived stages. Girl, that's gonna be the name of your one hour special. Total survivor. I I'm survived. Total yeah. survivor. What? Yeah, you survived yeah. everything. That's baby, right. that is that is that is testimony alone. Yeah, so why should I be worried about it if you don't like my joke? <laughs> <laughs> and if you can't survive it, then you live in America. You have to, you have no other choice. Good God. Yeah. Healthcare is super complicated. It's um yeah, it's so you've got the single payer or the, the the government system up there and we just can't get it done. I mean Obamacare was that was huge, the fact that we even slid that across. Yeah. 
and there's still payment um, for it. Yeah. Now, I will just be totally transparent that the, what the Canadians uh, complain about is that there can be long waits for certain tests uh, because you are basically ranked on the severity of your case and that these mm-hmm. and that the testing. So, you, you know, if you feel you can now just pay for it, if you want it faster, you can pay for it. You can decide to make that choice or you can be a squeaky wheel and get yourself pushed forward. I always say that it's like this. Um, because America is based on an insurance model and capitalism, America needs you, the American healthcare system needs you to be sick. The Canadian health system needs you to be healthy, and that's how things are run. Mm-hmm. Like I can go into a doctor wow. in America no, that's a very and be like, yeah. "I have a scratch on my elbow," and they'll be yeah. like, "Do you want an MRI?" Right? Yeah. Well, that's because we demand it too, as Americans. You know, like that's the. If you told my mother she had to do physical therapy for two weeks for the pain in her back before she gets the MRI, she'd lose her bananas. No, I, I have insurance and I want, you know, so it's, it's a super complicated, it Very is a complicated. Super complicated system, especially with our pharmaceuticals and the insurance companies. Those are the people really making all oh, the yeah. money. Um, so it, yeah, the, the system is flawed. It, you know, 18% of our GDP is, is healthcare. It's a flawed system. Yeah, so I don't yeah, and Bobby know. Bobby uh, works in healthcare. That's why she's so. That's why oh, she's so abreast of it. Fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I I could talk about this for hours, and I've even I talked. I've I know some. I've know some excellent people that work in the American health system as doctors and surgeons, and I have uh, at times asked them different questions, and they have told me that on certain boards of hospitals, they've been asked why they're not. You know, hey, we gotta, we really have to pay for these new, uh, crazy, you know, equipment we have. Why aren't you telling people to get more of this? Why aren't, you know, mastectomies cost a lot more money than lumpectomies. You should be recommending mastectomies more often. Mm, that sounds like a, um, a, not a for profit facilities versus not for profit right. facilities. Correct. Um, yeah, it's a business. It's a bit, bu- I mean, it, it really has become a business. So, as you started the show by saying you really had to advocate for yourself. So you do as a consumer, you need to go in, ask what you want and, and keep pushing until you get what you need, especially because our bodies tell us stuff we know first. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's a super complicated system here. Very complicated. I mean, everywhere. I think you have to always advocate for yourself. And I like my, and I like my boobs. And I like my boobs. <laughs> like <laughs> exactly. They're piling my ass. What am I going to do? <laughs> Look, Ophira, well, second question is, what is your what is your goal and desire for you as a comedian? What do you what what do you want to do that's huge that will make you feel like I made it? It's that one gig that you'd be like, I, I, I made it. I am that comedian. Well, I will say upcoming. So I'm going to say two things. One is upcoming. Um, my my pal and comic Anthony Jesselnik, you may know that guy, uh, he is out touring and he asked me to come join him on his show in a couple weeks at Carnegie Hall. So I guess I will check mark that oh my God, coming up. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Uh, but you know, with the storytelling, practice, 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 practice. With the storytelling stuff that I love doing and the stand up, I have um, I have a whole show that I've been working on that's more of, of a solo show, one person show kind of feeling about you know we were just talking about how I survived so many things. I have scars all over my body and just how they have shaped my identity and how I've accepted them and not accepted them and the stories behind them. Some are poignant, some are very funny, especially when I was sleeping around and deciding if I should explain some of the scars to people or if they cared. 
Uh, and I, you know, I want to, and just, you know, how much of your flesh is your identity? And uh, I would, I want to, I want that on Broadway, my friends. I want it on Broadway. I was going to ask you, did you want that Broadway or do you want that Netflix? I was just about to ask you that. I'm glad you said it. Well, listen, Flame, if I have to go Netflix, I will. Okay? If I have to. Well, Netflix, (laughs) let me tell you something. If you got to go Netflix, Netflix pays instant instant gratification with Netflix. Let me let you know that. (laughs) That's true. That's a good point. Yes, it's instant gratification with Netflix. With with Broadway, you still get paid, but it's, you know, every night. With Netflix, it's a one hit or quitter. Mm, You know what? I'm revising my goal. I think I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be great. Oh, well, no, you can do both now. Hear me. But if you get the Netflix first, you reach 190 countries, and then those people will fly in to see you on Broadway. Oh, that's Ooh, brilliant. It's a step, true, true, it's a step true. ladder. Can you be my yeah. business managerial yeah. <laughs> creative consultant, please? As <laughs> long as you can be mad, because I seem to be betting a thousand over here. <laughs> This was such a delightful conversation. Thank you so, so much for doing this with us. I am so pleased with the conversation. And it was so informative and light. It was, and, but it, but somebody is going to walk away from this that's going to learn something more about themselves because of you. And I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Flame. Thank you, Bobby. That's so nice. It it was uh, an honor. I was thrilled. Thank you. And I will definitely get over to uh, to your podcast. Now, where can we find you? What's the name of your podcast? Give us all a credit. Yes. So my podcast on iHeart is called Parenting is a Joke. Obviously, you can get it wherever you get podcasts where I talk to different people who are stand-ups uh, and working in entertainment about how they do creative work and raise children. So um, we will be talking about getting you on that immediately, Flame. Also, you can follow me everywhere at Ophira E and or on Venmo at Ophira if you feel like, I don't know, following me in Venmo. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, when is that Carnegie Hall date coming? What date that is, is that? on November 10th. Oh, it's it's soon. Yeah, and they can get their tickets where? Turns out Carnegie Hall, this is how the ticketing practice works. Uh, but they they posted their tickets for sale two weeks in advance. So I guess early November, right at the end. Halloween. Halloween. Hop online. That's Lady Monroe's birthday, by the way, <gasps> Halloween. I was born on Halloween. Oh, uh, happy. No, Marcus Parker, who is me, was born in July. But Flame Monroe, oh, yeah. my oh, alter ego, was oh, born that's on a, oh, oh, I get I was it. Supposed to do, I was supposed to be Flame Monroe one time for Halloween. <laughs> Uh, I ain't gonna tell y'all what year, but here we are, almost forty years later. Good God, titties and thirty nine. Thirty nine. Oh Jesus! Oh my God, Ophira, you are such a delight. Thank you so much. I love when we have light, pleasant conversations that are informative and stay in the game. I want to see your name in the big lights. I'm coming to your one woman show on Broadway because guess what? I'm a survivor too. I I survived. Look, I survived Chicago. That was enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I will. Uh, I look forward to seeing you on stage wherever I can. Maybe we'll see each other at the cellar one of these days. Yes. And whenever I come close to New York City, if I'm with Dave or with Tiffany or on my own, I'm going to reach out to you here because I want do. you at the show. And if I, if I can get you on the show, guess what? Go out there and give us 15. Let's do it. Awesome. I love it. I love Ooh. the parent story because there's so yes. many parents that are having a hard time with their children. So I love it. Yes. it's Well, tell me and I'll take the train in. Yes. You're close. We don't fly you on private jet, Bobby. It's only 20 minutes. Good God. You just need a okay. wide ass a- 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 tail to it. 
Ophira Eisenberg, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a round of applause for our very wonderful special guest, Ms. Ophira Eisenberg, and follow her on her podcast or iHeart or anything that she's doing because this lady, this lady going to teach you something. See, that's what comedy is. A lot of y'all miss it. Not only is comedy funny stories, but comedy is meant to teach you something about you that you're afraid to say publicly, but then you, you think in it so you learn something about yourself. That is great shit right Absolutely. there. Absolutely. I see it. I see the bad word. <laughs> I always say the bad word. That's all right. We love you for it. I know, right? <laughs> We're thinking. Thank you, my beautiful We appreciate you. Ladies and gentlemen, hear it, laugh, and learn. What, what is our message, Bobby? We're not trying to get you to change your mind. We are only trying to get you to use your mind because why, Bobby? Because a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And some of y'all are wasting y'all minds and my time, and I'm not here for it. We appreciate you. Follow Bobby Clifford at Bobby Clifford on Instagram and where well, Clifford Bobby on Instagram at Bobby Clifford on Facebook. Follow me on the all social media platforms at Flame Monroe and follow my girl, Miss Ophira Eisenberg, on all her social media platforms. Hear me and hear me well, ladies and gentlemen. We are in a crisis. The world is in a crisis with wars and, and sad stories and woo woo woo. Find some joy in your life that will keep you sane through all of this crazy. You have to find whatever makes you happy. I don't know what it could be. Everybody has different goals, different possibilities of make, what makes them happy. I, me, I'm happy with a black and white and a cheeseburger. I'm telling you, whatever makes you happy in your life, you have to find that joy or you will go crazy in mm -hmm. a crazy world. Yep. If it's 10 minutes out the day to find that joy, find that joy for them 10 minutes because the rest of the day might be screwed up. But if I found my joy for 10 minutes, guess what? I got 10 minutes of joy that day. Let me see if I can get 15 tomorrow. Because the goal is to get to the next day to get happier and happier and happier. The news and the world will make you sad. I ain't a sad bitch. I'm the happiest fag you ever seen in your life. I see it. I see it. I see it. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Sophia. Don't miss an episode of Laugh and Learn. Listen and subscribe on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Laugh and Learn Podcast is a production of the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. Our executive producer is Tiffany Haddish. Our theme music is by the one and only Chrissy Payne. Thank you, guys. This is Flame Monroe. <laughs> Don't forget to laugh, listen, and learn. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. 
even working with you from Kerry Hilson, Adonis. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a mm -hmm. hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 